And that's the cruel reason why I left old Skibbereen. Hello everyone. Thanks yet again for joining us for the next episode of How to Research Your Cork Ancestry. My name is Terry Kearney and I am the manager and curator at Skibbereen Heritage Centre, where we welcome thousands of visitors every year to our exhibitions about the Great Famine. We also provide a genealogy service for the Greater West Cork area for over 20 years now, thanks to our wonderful in-house local genealogist, Margaret Murphy. Margaret meets people by appointment in the centre and also carries out commissioned fee-paying research online via our website, but she simply does not have the time to answer the huge volume of general genealogy queries that come in every year. So in this series of podcasts, Margaret will share her knowledge about how to carry out such research, and we hope that it will be of use to you. And if it is, please spread the word and tell others about it too. In the first episode, Margaret shared her extensive knowledge on how best to use census records. And this time around, she tells us how to mine both civil and church records for genealogy data. Margaret, thanks very much for giving us all the background on the census information and uh, we're going to take it backwards now into the 19th century. So you said the very first one to start with would be the civil records. That would be correct, yes. Okay. Civil records came into effect 1864, is that right? That's right, yeah. 1st of January 1864. And why did they first bring in the civil records? They brought in the civil records to control or to register the births marriages and deaths of everybody born but prior to that non-Roman Catholic marriages were recorded in Ireland from 1845 onwards but no Roman Catholic marriages were recorded. Cases of bigamy in the UK prior to 1845 led the English establishment to enact governance where all marriages were were recorded after it from 1845 on but in Ireland it was only Church of Ireland Presbyterian non-Roman Catholic marriages were recorded from 1845. Roman Catholic marriages and births were from 1864 on and they go all the way to 1922 is that correct? Yeah so births from 1864 to 1922 because of the 100 year clause so every year it's a road it's a work in progress. Marriages from 1864 to roughly about 1950 for all districts within the country and then deaths are indexed from 1864 with the live record uploaded for debts roughly 1882 to about 1970 but they are indexed back as far as 1864 but you may not be able to look at the physical record. And you, were, I think you said that deaths were the most incomplete. They were. Again because what was happening in society like everybody attended awake they knew where their loved one was going to be buried and every the extended family knew where they were buried and also neighbours. So the, the onus on people to record the deaths of their loved one wasn't quite just there in the 1860s, 70s and 80s and 90s. At the turn of the 1900s, it does become more structured and definitely by the time we gain our independence, it is sacrosanct that deaths are recorded but basically because people didn't need them because there was no there was no inheritance or anything like that so civil records they sound like so they have to be correct right if if you're registering something civilly it has to be perfect surely yes today but back in the day and back when they began in 1864 a lot of inaccuracies unfortunately so just let's take an example of a birth record your relative may not have been recorded a baptism may 
be recorded for that individual or child that was born, but a birth may not follow. Mm. Uh, sometimes it was the view of the people in society, but also they further out, they lived from the nearest market town. The time of year, so if it was in winter time, rural families or farming families in a rural district were only going to come into town on fair day, which would be the spring onwards. So they A, they may have forgot, but B, just didn't see the necessity at that time, the control of the Catholic Church and the importance of it amongst all families and all religions at the time was once the child was baptised, their duty was done. Ah, very good. You know? So quite often there'd be a big gap between baptism date and civil registration date. There would be, and that's one of the major inaccuracies and it's something that I constantly have to tell my clients that, you know, it is the same child. I'll give you an example. Sean Hurley, the only Corkman that was killed in 1916 in the streets of Dublin during the Easter Rising, he was baptised in Drina Church on the 6th day of February, 1887, but his birth wasn't recorded on the 3rd of July, 1887. Hmm. And when we were carrying out the research for, for the commemoration, people were just saying, are, are you sure you've got the right gentleman here? Of course we did, but it was just a case of the family didn't get to it until July or they didn't get to the nearest market town oh, until okay. until July to do and it. And was there any comeback for that? Like, was there, as there is now, a um, time limit that you're supposed to register them in? There is, and funny enough, there is there was penalties. So, so from 1864, when the Act was carried and all registration took place in Ireland, from about in the 1880s onwards, they knew that registration was falling short of what it should have been, particularly with births and with deaths. So they imposed penalties on families, so they gave them a three-month stay. So if you didn't record the event within the three months, you were going to face a fine mm. and a day in the petty sessions of the years in the local court. My own great-grandfather fell foul to that, to that penalty. He laid registration for his firstborn son, but he was fined one and a half pence and taken to the court for a day, and oh. it's in the petty session records. That's very interesting, because I know my own cousins in the States, when they were trying to get Irish citizenship, their grandfather, which would be my uncle, James Carney, was never registered. And that was simply because James came from, he had many siblings, some of the siblings were recorded, some weren't, but it was just simply down to the fact of the time of year that he may have been born, or sometimes just the family didn't see the necessity to record the birth once the baptism. And the baptism, the date of baptism is the closest to the physical birth because all baptisms took place within 24, 48 or 72 hours of the, of the birth. So church records for baptisms are more reliable than the civil records for births in the early ones? In the, in the early ones, pre-1900. So we followed my family, thank you very much indeed, as an example of how to do this. And we found them in the 1901 census. And I think you said the next step. So we've carried out the search on your family in the census of 1901 and 1911. So now the next step would be based on the facts that we've gathered from the census data is to look for the marriage and look for the birth dates of the, the children that were named in the census okay. record. And we'll put up the websites you do all of this on on the, the show notes, but you had a bit of trouble locating them, Margaret. Exactly. So mm. we know from the census data that your grandparents are both recorded within parishes that should be within the district of Skibbereen for the civil registration. So therefore, I should be looking for the marriage for your grandparents when it took place in the district of Skibbereen. So sorry, go back to districts. So this isn't done in parish, it's done in districts. And they these were based on the former poor law unions, which is the old workhouse grounds. And then you had a registrar within that that you had to go and register. There's several different registrars in the Greater West Cork area and in every area. So my grandparents 
should be in Skibbereen, but but that wasn't the case when we carried hmm. out the search. So you you have to allow for the anomaly where your grandmother was from the parish of Affadown, your grandfather was from the parish of Skibbereen. Therefore, if right was right, they should be recorded in Skibbereen. But in your case, they were registered in Skull. Why Skull? Skull is the neighbouring district to Skibbereen. Your grandparents got married in the church in Kilco, which is just in the middle between the two districts. So Skull and Skibbereen. So we found them in Skull as opposed to Skibbereen. But if we again, like the census, if we adopt the, the principle, they did get married, they should be recorded. They're in there somewhere. So sometimes you just have to slow it down and look in the neighbouring districts mm. and possibly Cork as well. Up to Cork City? They would have had. Oh my yeah. goodness. Why yeah. would they go all the way up to Cork City? Again, I suppose whatever was happening in the family dynamics at the time, maybe that, you know, there's, there's various reasons. My own aunt, her marriage was due to take place. She was six weeks short of her marriage date. Her, her father passed away unexpectedly. So in, they still got married, but they went to Cork to get married because the family and all the, the neighbourhood was grieving at the time. This is in the 1950s in Ireland. But that's one of the reasons why couples would would have headed to Cork. So there we found it. What does it tell us? It tells me my grandmother's name. It also tells you, oh, their occupation. tells you the father's occupation. Yeah, and sometimes the occupations listed for couples, when you look, they can be very interesting. You can have tinsmiths, iron workers, RIC constables, masons, coast guards, something that you may not have been aware of that your ancestors might have been in a line of work. For the unusual names or names that are not common to the local areas, Pacific occupation brings a a young man or a young woman into the area they meet and marry and start their life in a new location Mm. so it's the occupation brings people sometimes and you can understand when you see the occupation ah that's That's why he came here okay so like coast guards or whatever carriage builders blacksmiths iron mongers you know (laughs) yeah i remember looking at them once upon a time there was gazillions of egg dealers they must have eaten a lot of eggs in those days very common in market towns like in you know like skibreen and and what else does it tell us oh yes it tells us the witnesses gosh that's charles o'sullivan so that must be a relative of the old neighbors of the carnies up in lisnaharig and the other one is mary oh yes mary long didn't we see longs in the 1901 census so i think that was my grandmother's sister from what we've learned from your family mary ellen coakley's sister was married to a long this lady here is probably her niece or a cousin, you know, oh, in, so, okay. in some regard. Okay. Yeah. And most times, most often, it was close family relatives or close neighbours witnessed marriage. So you now have their father's name, you have their father's occupation, you have the witnesses, obviously have the date, and we now have her name. There must be lots of surprises come up when you're looking these up, are there? There is, because sometimes you, you may not have been aware, but a civil marriage record as opposed to a church marriage record gives you a lot more information one of your your grandparents may have been married previously and their wife may have died in childbirth so he goes and takes another wife or she goes and takes another husband and how would you know that Margaret? because it would witness where a bachelor where michael carney is listed here as a bachelor and mary ellen is a spinster it would say widower and sometimes you might find information where they've been married twice because it was important especially if there was a young family involved that the man would take a new wife to rear his children or to be the mother of his children the father of the house was working abroad in England or Wales or America or wherever, it'll tell you that at the time of the, the marriage or at the time of the, the birth of a child that he was he was living else. So that is an official document. That is the document you need to get an exactly. Irish passport and so, you need to get it certified. Is that correct? Correct. What we're looking at here now this morning is 
the, the copy for the purpose of civil registration or for any legal entity, they would need the authentic copy and you'd have to apply to that to the civil registrar's office. So, yes, I've seen many, many people getting their Irish passports through that particular document, through you. I think you're I think you're responsible for making a lot of people Irish, Margaret. I'm sure a lot of people just want an Irish passport. Exactly. You should look at John Le Corry, the you know, the gentleman that came and professed his Irishness through his grandmother and was very, very proud to the fact that he could claim Irish citizenship just a couple of months prior to his death. You helped to wrap John Le Carre or David Cornwell yes. in, in an Irish flag, which yes. was, yeah. And it meant a lot to him. And it does mean a lot to a lot of people back their Irishness through their grandparents because they would have been very close yeah. to their grandparents or their parents. It means an awful lot of people. And look, we're a tiny country, aren't we? Lucky that all these people want to identify with us. Brilliant. So that's the first step. So will we move on to church records? So the church records differ greatly. They start in the early 1820s? That's correct, generally, for most rural parishes from about 1820 on. But some urban settings, they would start a little bit earlier and possibly into the late 1700s. Mm-hmm. I've seen Roman Catholic records surviving from 1770, but in the larger urban centres. OK, and why those dates, Margaret? Roman Catholic records start sometime in the early 1800s, the majority of them, and that's because of the penal law that was Catholic in place. Catholic emancipation. Catholic yeah. emancipation and all of that. Very good. And how long do these Catholic records cover? Online, they cover up to 1880. But in Skibreen Hair Centre, we have them available for the district of Skibreen up to 1911. And thereafter, you would have to go independently to each parish. They do survive up to present day. Okay, and of course, listeners, just to explain, before the government did them and put them up on the irishgenealogy.ie website, we in Skibbereen Heritage Centre started to digitise church records for this whole area. We went around to all the local parish priests and photographed all these, so which is why we can have them up to 1911. So essentially, up to 1880 online, we have them all the way up to 1911 and from 1911 onwards, the local parishes. So you said these are more reliable than the civil records? They are in a sense because, again, if you view what was happening in society, the control and the, the closeness that all families were to the Roman Catholic Church, a baptism would have taken place, a marriage in a church would have taken place and the death of somebody would have taken place in the church and you would ultimately believe that all events were recorded. Okay. particularly for baptism and marriage. And are there any anomalies in it? Oh, there's many anomalies. Like, again, back to what was happening in society, all children born in, relatively in the 1800s were all born at home. So if a child was born and it was deemed to be weak, the priest might be summoned to the house to baptise the child at home as, as opposed to going to the church. And the priest may just forget to enter the baptism when he'd return to the church or he might forget the full account of the family details and may have entered the mother's name wrong or the father's Christian name wrong. So you'll see anomalies like that all the time. Okay, so don't be be surprised. And what do these church records tell us? 1864, back to when they begin, roughly about the 1820s, they just, for baptisms, record the name of the child that was baptised, the parent's name, including the mother's name, and the witnesses, the baptismal sponsors of the day, possibly the townland, depending on the parish. And then for marriages, again, very simple. Date of marriage, name of bride and groom, and the date of the witnesses at the marriage. After 1864, church records started to come in line with what was happening with the civil records. So they were providing very, very similar records as what the 
civil records were with births and marriages. They were listing the townland, father's occupation, witnesses' names and addresses. So it, it, providing a lot more The registers got more extensive as a result too. They got bigger. And the marriages, same thing, would have told us the date and the couple's name exactly. and so on. And what about burial records? So unfortunately for all of the 1800s, there's virtually no church burial record or death record. From about 1900 onwards, you could, you would see parishes creating a, par- a death register or burial register where any funeral mass that took place in one of the churches of the parish, the death would be recorded. And thankfully, they would list the place of internment. So where you may not know where a relative was buried, in this instance it does, but not all parishes follow that line. Mm-hmm. I know in Skibbereen Parish, they have a burial register or funeral register but all of the neighbouring parishes don't, which is uh, oh, which so is a pity. Very ad hoc. And I know as well, going back to my uncle James, that wasn't registered civilly. I do remember for my cousins in the States who did get their Irish passports, I was able to get a letter from the registrar to say it wasn't registered. And then they were able to use the baptismal search. So for people who aren't civilly registered, it is possible to get an Irish passport on this baptismal record. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, the authorities will accept a certified baptism, record of baptism, where a civil record does of not. birth does not yeah. exist. What else do they tell us? Do they, they tell us anything interesting? They do, like they, again, pet names. So 1800s, dealing with pre-famine and after-famine years. In all of the West Cork parishes, primarily in the district of Skibreen, you would have a lot of families registered by pet names. So just, for example, take the McCarthy name. You have many variant pet names for that, the Forshans, the Sownies, the Meanigs. So you could have Pat Meanig as opposed to Pat McCarthy. So again, just to explain to listeners who've never heard of a pet name, a pet name is in Ireland, we we quite often call people not by their original name. And particularly, for example, my mother's family would have been O'Sullivan's and they were from Cora and every second person in Cora is an O'Sullivan. So my mother's family were known as the O'Sullivan Pretties. Families were given a name and actually these names are very interesting in and of themselves. So if you're looking on the church records, quite often the pretties might have been down as John Pretty rather than John O'Sullivan, you're saying. That's correct. For any any family that would carry a pet name, you would have to look for both, look it under the actual family name and also then the pet name. In my instance with my great grandmother, she was Ellen Driscoll, but she the family name was McNady. So half of her siblings are recorded under McNady and the other half Driscoll. Again, local knowledge is invaluable. And of course, they tell us a lot about society too. Exactly, like being in a baptismal or church marriage church record. And you could see where the priest may have just referred to the couple who were getting married as vagrants. So what would that tell you only that the couple were passing through and there were vagrants in that parish at the time of their marriage? So it's not necessarily a derogatory term? No. no. That they, and like again, tinker that they were moving because the very nature of, of uh, families in that society that they were they were moving from one location to another. And what's very, very interesting, particularly during the 1800s and probably into the 1900s as well, is that where uh, adult conversion from one religion to another, i.e. from Church of Ireland or Presbyterian Methodist to a, a Roman wanting to to get married to a Roman Catholic girl or male, they would have to denounce their former religion or their religion of birth. The priest would make, he would write a little paragraph into the baptismal book, get the individual who was wishing to convert to sign it in the witness of, a, of another person. And oftentimes the baptism of the adult convert took place 
just before they were due to marry their, their spouse in the Roman Catholic Church. And how was illegitimacy? How was Again, it? they would just refer to it as illegitimate child and the child would be put down with possibly the mother's name but often obviously the father's name would be would be would be left out again can we look up my family as an example so we know my grandparents um, marriage in 1905 we found that in the civil records so where, what can we do with that margaret right so you can go back further on in the next generation so you can find out that your grandmother and your grandfather on the civil marriage record, their father's names are mentioned. So you can go back in now and find their baptismal and their parents' marriage and just look at the next generation behind your mar- your grandparents' marriage. Yeah. So, so in the case of your grandmother, Mary Ellen Coakley, we know that her father was Timothy and her mother now is Johanna Sullivan. We were able to find a church record and a civil marriage record for for your great-grandparents, because they got married after 1864, they got married in 1870, but her name is misspelt. So again, that's one of the anomalies that you would meet. The surname is misspelt. Ah, I see that. Yeah, Coakley is misspelt, so you just have to allow for that and accept that that's just an error. Okay, and we now have her parents again, so that it's possible to go back another generation. So we can identify the parents and all of your grandmother's siblings and to see where they, they were actually were. Timothy, your great-grandfather's father was Dennis and he says he was from Derrylee in Skibbereen when he got married in 1870. So therefore then he's a child possibly of the 1840s. So in the instance of your paternal great-grandparents John Carney and his wife is Anna Leahy, they get married in 1858. We only have a marriage church record for them because it's outside of the civil records. Oh and they're in Latin Margaret. Exactly so John Carney is referred to as Jonas Carney and she's Annanum Leahy. Again, in the 1800s, a lot of the church records were the Christian names of individuals were given in Latin. God love them. There's there's many, many records during the famine. You can actually see very, very, very few marriages and very few baptisms. And I remember coming across when I put it in the famine storybook, actually, from the parish of Affidown, which we now know my grandmother was from. Yes, I remember the hairs in the back of my neck stood up when I saw this one. So Affidown, Father Troy recorded in 1847, a frightful famine and fever year, alas, hundreds dying with no marriages or baptisms. And you can see it. You can. And what about other church records? These are all, we've, we've focused completely on the Roman Catholic but there are other church records. There's um, yeah, so church. There, there was other religious denominations in Ireland at the time, right throughout the 1800s and earlier, but they're not available online. So they're very, very hard to access. And most oftentimes I can't help people that come or would have ancestors that might have been Church of Ireland, Methodist, Presbyterian, because I have no access to any records. They're either held with the parish themselves or held centrally in Dublin. They're not widely available online. Okay. And do they go back further than the Roman Catholic? They would. We'll put all the links to all of these websites up in the notes anyways. So we've got all the way back to 1820 with my family. So is that all we can do? Oh no, we can start trying to find them on the land. So important. I mean, we're here because of these people. So exactly. it's so important even just to name them and find where they came from. Next time we'll cover that. Thank you so, so much again, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thank you.